0: Time again for Doc Shock, your addiction lifeguard podcast. I am Dr. Jacques de Bruker, a psychologist, licensed professional counselor, and addiction specialist. If you are suffering from addiction, misery, trauma, whatever it is, I'm here to help. If you're in search of help to try to get your life back together, join me here at Doc Shock, your addiction lifeguard, the addiction recovery podcast. to be real clear about what this podcast is intended for. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes, but not considered help. If you actually need real help and you're in need of help, please seek that out. If you're in dire need of help, you can go to your nearest emergency room or you can check into a rehab center or call a counselor like me and talk about your problems and work through them. But don't rely on a podcast to be that form of help. It's not. It's just a podcast. It's for entertainment and information only. So let's keep it in that light, all right? Have a good time, learn something, and then get the real help that you need from a professional. Yeah. I have struggled over my professional career to try to explain to people the how's and why's and what's of addiction and why it's an issue. And I usually get met by the loved ones of, of people who are addicts and they come in with the question of, you know, why is my child, my husband or my wife, um, an addict? And I tried to explain to them that addiction is not a choice. It's something that is something that they engage in because they are they're suffering it's it's they're uncomfortable and my go-to explanation that i use with everybody is you you feel suffering you you have suffered trauma and the response to that for you is to get high when you're uncomfortable so why do people get high they do because they are uncomfortable and that is my go-to explanation and i usually get a very puzzled look on the on the face of the non-addict family member loved one whatever that is listening to that And from the addict, I usually get a quizzical look because no one has ever talked to them, usually, about their suffering. And so they never made the connection. And so they have worked with themselves on trying to get into recovery, trying to stop just because they thought they could use their willpower. And they have worked with professionals who are trying to help them. But unfortunately... um, A lot of professionals don't believe that that's the case or they don't know. I do, and I've seen it. And we become addicts because we're uncomfortable and we're uncomfortable because we've been traumatized as a child. And I came upon something from one of my um, mentors who doesn't know that he's a mentor. To me, Gabor Mate, who has been studying this and treating this as a physician in Canada for a very, very long time, he talked about it in a podcast that he put out that was quite interesting. I would love to be able to take the time to to share that with you, which I'm going to do, to exp- as best I can. The effect of addiction on people and where it comes from. So let me just play the words of Gabor Mate as he talks about what is addiction. Because he does it so eloquently. I, I think perhaps better than I can. So take a listen.
1: The downtown east side of Vancouver, British Columbia is one of the world's ground zeroes for addiction. in that in a few square block radius, we have thousands of people injecting, inhaling and ingesting drugs of all kinds and paying dearly for it. These people are often outside the law, certainly beset by many medical problems due to injection drug use, including psychosis, including HIV, including hepatitis C, cancers, they die of overdoses. This is trench warfare. And the people that are the frontline soldiers dying from it are the people affected by addiction. So that's where I worked for 12 years. And um, what I learned could be summed up really, very uh, briefly by saying that addiction is not a choice that anybody makes. It's not a moral failure. It's not an ethical lapse. It's not a weakness of character. It's not a failure of will. It's just how our society depicts addiction. Nor is it an inherited brain disease, which is how the medical tendency is to see it. But it actually is it's a response to human suffering. And all these people that I worked with had been severely traumatized as children. All the women had been sexually abused. All the men had been uh, traumatized. Some of them sexually, physically, emotionally neglected. And not only is that my perspective, it's also what the scientific and research literature shows. So addiction then is actually, rather than being a disease as such or a human choice, it actually is It's an attempt to escape suffering temporarily. By the time I, I went to work there, I had already been in family practice for 20 years. I'd seen a lot and I was quite attuned to the impact of early childhood experiences on adult psychology and adult brain physiology. But I just hadn't seen the depth and the degree until I went to work down there. So really it dramatized and confirmed for me, made it very palpable how addictions are a response to suffering and that what people need in response to addiction is not judgment and not simply symptom control. They need to be helped to heal from their trauma it is all about trauma the media the television cultural depiction of addicts is usually as desperate people but without showing why they're desperate so all the shows is the desperation for the drugs Uh, there's no indication of what's driving that desperation and hence you see them behaving in all kinds of dysfunctional ways aggressive or manipulative or uh, unpleasant but again there's no three-dimensional sense of the reality of these people as to what that's really all about for them. Is it possible to cure people? You're speaking from the Western model where I am the expert and you're the one with the disease and I'm going to cure you uh, like you cure a piece of meat, you know, no. The answer to that question framed that way is no, it's not possible. If you're asking, is it possible for people to heal from trauma sufficiently? that they don't have to keep escaping into addictions to lessen the suffering of their trauma yes that's entirely possible but question is under what conditions is that possible and under the conditions that obtain in london uk or Vancouver, british columbia or in new york new york or any place under the conditions that obtain socially legally and from the perspective of medical practice it's hardly a likelihood because we're approaching it from the wrong direction and with the wrong perspective if i could constantly demonstrate that with this particular population i could affect a five or ten percent success rate of getting people to leave the addiction behind i'd be considered to be a genius because our results are so poor when i say ours i don't mean ours specifically in vancouver i don't mean that i mean the overall treatment model for addiction is so poor and succeeding with the most affected segments of the population. So, I mean, addictions are like everything else, on a spectrum. So a lot of people do heal from addictions, but the most inveterate, most entrenched addicts, they have the hardest time, and they're also the ones whom society gives the hardest time, so that it makes it even harder to help them. Never mind they don't get the help they need, they actually get actively punished. And so what you actually got is traumatized children, when children are traumatized, that affects how they feel about themselves, which is deeply ashamed. Because a child always believes that it's about himself. So if, if I'm being hurt like this, i got to be a terrible person. Or if I was sexually abused, why didn't I fight back? I must be a very weak person. So there's a deep sense of shame. Then there's tremendous emotional pain that accrues from abuse and neglect tremendous emotional pain that is hardly possible for people to bear now they have to soothe their pain with substances or their compulsive behaviors then the trauma itself given that the human brain develops an interaction with the environment shapes the brain circuitry in such a way that the person will be more likely to find relief from the drugs so the very physiology of the brain is affected by early trauma so then you take these traumatized people and you make their habit illegal, it's not illegal to drink yourself to death, it's not illegal to make yourself sick with emphysema or lung cancer by means of cigarettes, but it is illegal to use other substances. So now you take these abused, traumatized people, you place them outside the law, you put them in jails and you harm them all their lives, treating them like criminals and bad people and, and failures and rejects and less than a human. And then we wonder how come they don't get better. So it's a self-perpetuating cycle of taking traumatized people and then re-traumatizing them and then hoping at the same time, why don't they listen? Why don't they get better already? Why don't they give it up? Well, they don't give it up because the more hurt they are, the more they need to escape. In other words, the addiction wasn't your problem. Your problem was that you had a lot of emotional pain, you didn't know what to do with So the addiction was really an attempt to solve a problem. So when you say, why do people use substances or why do they engage in addictions in general, it's because they have a problem they don't know what to do with. And if you really understand their addiction, we have to ask, well, what gave you so much emotional pain? And how come you didn't have the internal resources? This is not a judgment, it's simply an inquiry how come you lacked at some point the internal resources to deal with that pain in a more creative, forward-looking way that would help you resolve the pain rather than to perpetuate it. So really, really what it was is that the addiction came along to help you solve a problem you had no other solutions for at the time. And that's the case for all addictions. So why do people use, why do people engage in addictions? Because they have deep emotional problems. They don't have the means to resolve on their own. That's why they use. The average medical student until very recently, has never even heard the word trauma in their education. It doesn't show up. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about its impact on the brain, on the personality, on, on, on the emotional life of people, on its impact on people's physical health. It's not a word that we mention. We're traumaphobic. As a fellow doctor said to me, the medical profession is traumaphobic. Psychiatrists these days are trained mostly in this biological model of psychiatry where everything comes down to a biological brain disease. Here, let's give you a pill. The last thing most psychiatrists know how to talk about is actually emotional pain or its origins in human experience. You would think they know how to do that, but they don't. They're not trained in it. It's not part of the predominant medical ideology. And, you know, as a physician, I can tell you, we like to think of medicals as a science. And it has certainly great scientific achievements uh, to its credit and great scientific insights to buttress its successes but it's as much as ideology as a science and ideology has certain hidden assumptions that are hidden from the people that believe in ideology and so that if something is excluded by your ideology you just won't see it and so that you can be talking to somebody about your addiction and the simple question what did they do for you and how come you're in so much emotional pain doesn't occur to anybody you know trained in the classical manner now this is true not just for Physicians, is true for a lot of psychologists as well, who are more interested in solving your problems and getting you to overcome the behavior than in asking, well, okay, where does behavior come from? And what are you still carrying inside that's making you behave that way? And how can we help you resolve what's inside you? Not just how do we help you change your behavior, but how do we help you change? Now that's what healing is. And that happens inside a person. So it's never a question of anybody curing anybody else, but we can guide people to healing if we ask the right questions.
0: Gabor Matei is uh, quite an
1: articulate,
0: quite a well-educated and an unbelievably uh, knowledgeable person when it comes to addiction and recovery and treatment. And his model of treating the trauma as opposed to treating the behavior of addiction is one that I took on pretty early in my practice um, and understand that. And so in my 17 years of practice, I have come upon the same exact kind of experience when it comes to treating individuals who suffer from addiction. They are traumatized. I don't treat addiction. I treat trauma. That's how I look at it. And when I'm treating trauma, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand where the trauma comes from. And that again, is something that is pretty revolutionary to the people that come in my office because they usually have experienced a physician or two, a psychiatrist, and perhaps multiple counselors who never did bother to find out what their trauma is because they didn't really understand there's a connection between trauma and addiction They, for whatever reason. Um, and and certainly that is something that I had learned, especially in my doctoral program with my uh, the chair of my Uh, dissertation committee, Dr. McKiernan, who explained, um, and we had conversations about it, that the whole connection between trauma and addiction, and his specialty in treatment as a professional is addiction. And he urged me to uh, write a book to talk about uh, the treatment of, of addiction through the use of trauma treatment rather than behavior treatment, he felt that was a really important thing and that that should be talked about and explored by people and that I should be explaining that. The two other people in my committee w- were very interested in that as well and that was kind of an unusual th- thing that they experienced, I guess, in, in, in reading what I was writing. But um, So the research that I did really just all pointed towards that. However, in the uh, treatment, clinical treatment world, that's not really tackled. It certainly isn't in rehabs because in a rehab, you're only there for a limited amount of time and you can't really go into trauma treatment per se in a residential treatment center, unless you're going to be there for a year or two, because that's how long it takes. And so when we are treating people, and I'm, I'm going to say when I'm treating people, my best opportunity for trying to get the person into recovery is when I get them early enough where they've had just enough loss that they can still get their lives together. But we do treat them like criminals, and we treat them as bad people. And so a lot of times by the time I get them, they already have felony records. They already have lost their jobs, their money, and they're at the point of almost hopelessness when it comes to living their life. So when they put their life back together, they don't have much to put back together. There's not much left and that is an unfortunate situation and that's the one that I find myself in a lot of times but my best hope at getting somebody into recovery is if I can catch them before they have lost so much that they're not employable or they're not housed or they're not uh they haven't lost their relationships to the point where they're damaged beyond repair and that's so I'm catching them before they get to that point but in order for them to be open to treatment they have to get to the point where they've lost something uh, but not so much that they can't really fully function in society anymore and it's really sad when I see that when they've reached that point of not being able to function because there's not really anywhere for them to go the key is to recognize when it's gotten to that point and so I feel like I'm just this person that's on this hillside with a bullhorn that's yelling into it that you know, stop looking at it as a moral failure. Stop looking at it as a, as a legal failure. And I'm shouting into this bullhorn. That's, you know, everybody can hear, but nobody wants to, nobody wants to listen. And so my, my work as a clinician, a lot of times is handicapped in that way. But when I do reach the person that actually understands what I'm saying and they, and they listen to it, they absorb it. It's, it's it's life changing for them. I'm not changing their life. I'm just saying words. They change their lives, not me. I I am a healer who is not really doing anything to heal. I'm not a surgeon. I'm not removing tissue and sewing a body back up and watching it you know repair from that. But healing is, as Gabor says, it is that trauma healing that needs to occur. And so, listening to them and listening to their stories and actually convincing them that they can actually speak about their traumas because many, many times, I I can't count how many times over the years, but it's a majority of the time that I'm meeting somebody, they have never really talked about their traumas. I've had instances where people have been in their uh, late 50s, early 60s, sometimes as late as their 70s, and they've never in their lifetime understood that what they went through was traumatizing. It was trauma. And it could be something as horrible as full-on sexual abuse that went on for years, and they never realized that it was trauma, that it was traumatizing. And again, as Gabor said, there's an attachment of the shame and, and the embarrassment and regret around that that keeps them from talking about it or acknowledging it or wanting to reveal it. If you were abused as a child, you don't want to reveal it. And abuse comes in so many different forms. Physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, abandonment. Those are the big five. And so if you are getting yelled at all the time as a child and told that you're stupid and worthless and you're never going to amount to anything, that is abuse. And abuse is trauma. And experiencing trauma leaves this indelible impression on a child's brain. They think of themselves and they relate to the world from that viewpoint and it's always going to be there through their lifetime there that they, you can't change your history your history is what you have it's what you've experienced children interestingly have a very interesting way of coping with that uh, when they're experiencing it's called dissociation and what they do is they go into their their pretend world they're not really experiencing this I'm not experiencing this and they do it in a way that they create these fantasies for themselves and they, they are in that fantasy world to cope with the trauma. As adults, we can't do that because now we understand the world and we relate to it directly because we are in the world. We're not we're not of the world, we're in the world. And so because we control our destiny at that point, it's hard to dissociate. There are extreme forms of that in the form of, of dissociative disorders, yes, but for the for the person who doesn't get pushed at that point that they're in they're in the world they're not of the world and a child is of the world they they are just kind of you know they're they're floating around but adults are grounded and and standing on the world and they know that and so they feel uncomfortable and they don't know what to do about it so they pick up their drug of choice whatever it is and they get high and that's their escape so they dissociate by getting high and it's sad it is sad it's frustrating to me um, because I'm trying so hard to help people heal. And I get somebody who's 30, 40, 50 years old, and they're talking about the very first, for the very first time, about their traumas. And it's a long, long road. At that point, a lot of times they are treated as if they are a bad person. They've got criminal histories, they've got legal issues, they've got relation issues, marital issues, children, you know, problems with their children. And they they think they are the bad person. And so the words that I use with them is addiction is the enemy. Addiction is the tool of the enemy. And the enemy is attacking you. You're not the problem. And I've had clients cry when I say those words because they feel so relieved with the understanding that they have always thought of themselves as being the problem because that's what children do. They they, They think they cause everything to happen. And they cr- and they cry in the chair, and I, I, it's, it's, it's. I, I am happy that they get to that point where they can actually feel the feeling, in the presence of another person. And I feel sad for them, but I feel privileged to be able to be the one that helps them get to that point, get to the point where they can actually understand that another human being is hearing them, and sees it. And so, the the frustration that they have of living their lives and not being bad people, but being having been people that bad things happen to and not being able to recover from that because they're traumatized is, is this endless cycle. And so like he said, the most of the women are sexually abused that I get who are females. Most of the men have been physically or verbally abused. Occasionally they are sexually abused, but mostly it's that. And, they need a they need to find a, pace, a place of peace and the place of peace is in that healing of of their soul it's from the inside as gabor said it's inside you heal from the inside you don't heal externally because something happened to you or somebody said something to you and so to get to that point you have to be able to accept the fact that this happened to you and go through the process of of recovery and you really need to find somebody who specializes in trauma-informed, trauma-trained recovery or treatment as a clinician. So you want to look for that psychologist or that, that uh, highly skilled counselor who is looking at it from a trauma perspective because you will not get into recovery by doing cognitive behavioral therapy or person-centered therapy. It's, it's very difficult because they're, they're very distant From the therapist, the therapist and the client, there's a big distance and it's all focused on the behavior, the action steps of addiction. And if you you're told as a client that if you um, if we can think if we can understand how you are thinking about things or yourself at the time you're using, then you will change the behavior. And my response to that is, well, the change in behavior is going to be a change to a different drug of choice. Because you just took away that person's coping mechanism rather than treat the cause for the coping. And as Gabor said, when we as clinicians will address that, then we can understand that. And he is absolutely right. I have conversations with physicians all the time who did not understand and were not trained. And I can't fault them. It's not their fault. It's their training. They were not trained to understand that the reason that the person is acting in a very destructive manner as an addict is because they have trauma. For them as physicians, that's something that's noted in their history, and then they move on to treat the condition. And if the condition is, I'm injecting heroin into my body, then their response is, well, let's get you off of heroin. So here, here's some Suboxone, here's some... Uh methadone, and that will get you off of the drug that's illegal and keep you from being a criminal. Thank you very much next next patient and uh same thing with alcohol the standard they get for alcohol is well let's put you on some benzos and detox you, and now we're done because you're not you don't have ethanol flowing through your veins and you're not going to go into withdrawal and that's their treatment and i can't I can't fault them for that I mean they might get naltrexone as a uh thing to reduce the desire to consume alcohol and that's the, that's it you know, and they get these pills and they go on their way and that's not what recovery is. That's not going to lead them to recovery. This person was heavily traumatized as a child and now they are coping. So if, if anything I could convey to everyone who's listening to this, If you have an addiction, understand that you need to treat the trauma that you experienced. And that means that you have to recognize what happened to you as a child was actually trauma. So being abused, being verbally abused, emotionally abused, abandoned is not okay. And it wasn't okay then. It's not okay now. And then get somebody that can help you treat the trauma, not treat the behavior. You're not a bad person because you use you had bad things happen to you. Your usage doesn't make you bad. That's another lie the enemy wants you to believe. So don't fall into that. So find a highly skilled therapist, psychologist, or perhaps psychiatrist that understands that you were traumatized. And the best way to do that is to just, if you can, when you walk in to that clinician's office and you sit down and they say, how can I help you? You can say, I was traumatized as a child and i'm I'm an addict now because of it and whatever response you get from that clinician will tell you if they have been trauma informed in their you know their training or their postgraduate training and they understand and if they don't understand they just move past that and say oh well you were abused as a child okay that must really have affected you um, so can you tell me about your job or your relationship and when you get to the when you get that kind of response you need to move on to the next if you're an addict, you need help, and that's where help is, is in understanding trauma is the basis of all addiction. And as I have tried for years and years to get people to understand, that is it. it is trauma is the basis for all addiction. That's my clinical experience, and apparently that is many other clinicians who have that experience, but not enough clinicians have that experience. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. I do appreciate you listening. And if you have questions for me about addiction, recovery, how do you do it, the process, please give me a call. You can find my contact information on my website, WellspringMindBody.com. I can answer your calls. And I know I have listeners in various parts of the world. But if you do have questions, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, We have a world that is connected electronically and we can connect to you. So reach out and ask me questions. I will answer them for you. But I do appreciate you listening. And go through the archive to find other podcasts that you may find interesting and helpful as well. And until next time, remember, it's not how many times you fall down that matter. It's how many times you get up. And you only need to get up that one last time. I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.